we are in a series right now called Love and Light, Sharing the Good News Like Jesus. And one of the things that we're doing is we're sharing stories. And we love stories. Stories are great. I mean, let's be honest. We love Kevin preaching, right? But we also, even better, we love hearing stories. And so uh, throughout this series, we're going to be getting people to share a little bit about their experiences of how they've come to know and follow Jesus and and some of the things that have kind of impacted them and and how their journey has led to this point. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start our sermon today with Tanya and Uli. So if you could welcome Tanya and Uli. You can share a mic, you can each grab one. Tanya, Uli, welcome here. And uh, they're just going to share a little bit about their faith journey. And so thank you so much for sharing today. We look forward to hearing how the Lord has been working in your lives. Sure, thank you for having us. Um, yeah, my name is Uli, it's my wife Tanya. Um, what I'm sharing today, it's, it's um, uh, my experience uh, seeing other people around the community be salt and light. Uh, and specific our community, because Stan and I moved from the UK 11 years ago, and we walked to a local church and happened this Sunday to be uh, uh, Costco, cinnamon buns, piles of cinnamon buns everywhere. So we thought, wow, this is a good welcome. So we literally joined that church. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, was not just about the ministry that attracted us to the church, it was the people in there including, you know, the Pastor Rob and the Pastor Janet. So all the people in the community, they really uh, show up, shows, showed up how um, to live in community and how to pray for each other and how to care for each other. And they really kept us going to the church and kept us in the community. We were literally new to, I was new to Canada at the time, that is from here. But um, yeah, they really showed us how to be salt and light and, and how to be, um, supported. So if you think about today, which is Ministry Sunday, um, of joining any ministry, uh, I recommend Alpha because I love Alpha. I, came, I became Christian for an Alpha course. And again, there I find where people will show uh, to be how to be salt and light. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Tanya. And um, when Amelia asked us to share, I don't know, where is Amelia? Oh, she's not here. I thought, oh my goodness, why is she asking us? Because <laughs> um, we're, we're not special. We're just ordinary people. And she said, could you share a little bit about salt and light, either how you've been salt and light to others or how others have been salt and light to you? So Uli was sharing a little bit about how this church has massively been salt and light to us and our kids, um, our amazing life group. I see a lot of you sitting around. You've massively been salt and light. But when thinking about us as a family, um, I think it's, being salt and light to other people is not really something that we think is something that we do. It's just more of who we are. Um, there's an Italian tradition, really being from Italy originally, where you have an extra seat at your table just in case someone knocks at the door and wants to join. So that's just sort of what we, what we try to do. I grew up as a teen in the early 1990s, totally aging myself. Anybody else? <laughs> Give me some love, anybody? Okay. Um, and so I remember, though, there's nothing wrong with this, but I remember kind of the sort of tradition at that time was, okay, Friday night, we're going to go do evangelism. And I think I kind of grew up with this kind of like a li little bit of a pressure and thinking, okay, we got to go do evangelism on Friday night from 7 to 8, but then the rest of the week, there's not a lot going on. Um, and I think as part of being part of this church, I've learned that actually we can just be salt and light all the time. It's not like a massive thing we have to do. It's just in being friends 
And I had such a cool story about this because um, I'm not gonna share names because I didn't ask for permission, but I know they won't mind me sharing the, the story. Um, Uli and I were leading an alpha group and somebody in our life group, this must be about five years ago now, six years ago now, she had a neighbor who wasn't a Christian. So she invited her neighbor to come to Alpha. And then they ended up being at our table. So we got to know this mom, and then we invited her over for Thanksgiving dinner, and she brought her kids. And they were just such amazing people. They've just become part of our family. We didn't do anything. We literally invited them for a meal. That's it. Then we invited the daughter to come to youth group. And then the youth, who are so incredibly amazing, you youth are amazing. Don't underestimate the power of your invitations. So this girl came to youth group, and the youth then invited her to more things and more things. Some of the parents of the youth invited the mom to more things and more things. So how this ends up five years later is last night, um, she gets me kind of emotional, but she, um, she's moved to university now, and she um, video chatted me last night because she wanted to show me her university room. And she just hurt just the glow in her face because she knows Jesus now. And um, she said, Tanya, you're not going to believe this, but the person living on the other side of the wall from me is somebody from NLCC. So just the fact that God worked that all out, and it was just through invitation. So us being this little grain of salt to say, hey, do you want to come for dinner? Hey, do you want to come to youth group? And then all of the youth, one particularly sitting in the front row, <laughs> just continually to invite and invite and invite. So... I guess we just sort of wanted to say that um, being salt and light to others doesn't have to be a big pressure. It can literally just be inviting somebody for a meal. And as a village together as a church, that's when we actually really see God um, change lives. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, um, what a great story. We're going to be talking about salt and light today. I just, um, yeah, I, I love hearing those types of stories. Um, I, di I didn't get a chance to say this myself, so I just want to say it right now, if you are uh, new to North Langley or you're just kind of checking out this place, I know it's September 10th, which means we're getting back into the rhythm of fall, right? We're trying things out. We're like, hey, is this going to be my home church? I, I just hope and pray that you experience God's love here today and that this could be a, a family, a faith community where you can grow in your love and in your discipleship with Jesus and your walk. And, and, I, and I've been praying that that those of us who are here today, that we could find that this to be a really healthy, good part of our weekly rhythms is to be here in church on Sunday mornings. Um, I, I, I was a youth pastor for a really long time, and uh, I love youth group, and I, one of my favorite things about youth group was retreats. Anyone go on retreats in youth group? Yes. And so, okay, so here, here's one of the things. Whenever we would go on a retreat, we'd always be like, okay, where can we go? We need somewhere that's kind of close, but not too close. We need somewhere that's cheap. We need somewhere that's kind of in the wilderness, and we need all these places. And so whenever we were thinking about where are we going to bring students, we always thought about this one place. And on Mount Seymour, there is a chalet called Camp Luther. Not Camp Luther in Mission, but Camp Luther on Seymour Mountain that have a chalet there, and it is very easy to think this is a good spot to bring youth group. It's $5 a night per person. That is cheap. It is always available. 
there is a giant room that has like space for so many people. I think you can sleep like 60 or 70 people in the chalet. And so every time we thought about going away on a youth retreat, it would be one of the, in the running. Also, side note, this is the first place uh, I held hands with my future wife, Christina. Uh, it was, uh, yep, that's right. So uh, it has some sentimental value as well. Um, but, but here's what happens. It sounds like a good spot to take your students until you get there. <laughs> has anyone been to the chalet on Mount Seymour? It is awful. Okay. <laughs> you walk in and immediately you're hit with this kind of thick, musty smell. Okay, uh, and as you walk around, you realize there's no toilets in the place. There are two very uncared for pit toilets out back. There are mattresses, which sound great, but the mattresses have been there since the beginning of time, I think. They're disgusting. And uh, there, there's a, a, a fire escape that's kind of a deck, but I would never let anyone go on it because it looks so rotten that it looks like it couldn't hold a mouse up. It's so deteriorated. Now, speaking of mice... Yes, mice droppings all over the place. One time I went to uh, Camp Luther there and uh, I walked into the kitchen and there was a, just a mouse dead in the middle of the kitchen counter. It wasn't in a trap. It just decided that was a good place to die. It, was, it felt safe. That was a good spot. And so um, looking at this place, it was really easy to be tempted for this to be the place to bring people because it was close it was cheap, it was available, it had lots of space, and, and it's, you can make it sound really good. But as soon as you get there, all the good things you've heard about it don't matter anymore. It doesn't matter at all because the experience just doesn't match the hype. The experience doesn't match the hype. At the center of Jesus' problem with religious people of his day were that they were kind of like that sad, terrible chalet. They could say the right words and you could hype things up and give the right answers, but their lifestyle did not line up with, the, with their words. Their actions didn't follow through with their promises. They could make their faith sound exemplary, but once you looked at their lives and their hearts, you saw something very different. Their actions spoke louder than their words, and their actions spoke extortion and corruption and disease and hypocrisy and selfishness and deceit. T.S. Eliot says that houses live and die, and when they die, they often die from the inside first. So today we're going to be talking about salt and light, and this is a verse that is intended to help keep us, the church, from rotting from the inside out. Today we're going to see Jesus calling us to be agents of change for the kingdom of God and to impact our homes and our neighborhoods, our communities, and our world as salt and light. To not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk as well for our actions and our words to be in lockstep with one another. We're in a series right now called Love and Light, which is all about sharing the good news like Jesus. And we call this word evangelism. Evangelism simply means the spreading of the Christian gospel, sharing with others the good news about Jesus. It's how when we love something, we want to share about that thing. Last week, do you remember John was talking about five out of five star ratings? What are the things that are five out of five star ratings? What were some of the things that you said last week that were your five out of five star ratings? Yeah? Cookie yes, cookie butter. That was the big one. You get a prize, but I don't have one. Um, 
And so five out of five star ratings. And that's all evangelism is. It's sharing the something that we see as a five out of five star rating with other people. If you're hanging out with me, it doesn't take too long to know I'm a big Canucks fan. Love the Canucks. I'm listening to sports radio right now to hear any news I can about the Canucks, even though it's a month away. Um, I love my wife and my kids. I'm a huge fan of them. I love working for a church, and I love Jesus, and I think every home should have an air fryer in it. These are all my five out of five star ratings. But this word evangelism actually comes with some baggage. So as we're sharing about Jesus, we call this evangelism, but it, it's a word and it's, and it's something that we can feel uncomfortable with. Not too many people want to be called an evangelist. A lot of times when we say evangelism or an evangelist, it makes people think of TV evangelists selling holy water to pray, pay for their private jets, Right? We've all seen those stories. Evangelical has become a word that carries so many political connotations that it's just a loaded word. Evangelism, uh, when, when we think about door-to-door -door evangelists, like who opens the door when you know it's someone that wants to talk to you about faith? Like that's an accident. You open up the door and you're like, shoot, I should have just left this door closed. Because evangelism sounds pushy, it sounds intrusive, and it sounds very unwelcome. But I think that we can do much, much better. And I think that the verse that we're going to be looking at today is calling us to do much, much better with our evangelism. Mark Middleberg says about evangelism, he says, it's one of the highest values in the church and one of the least practiced. Last week, John shared about the woman at the well and a disciple named Philip who simply invited people to come and see what Jesus was doing, to come and see what Jesus was doing in their lives. And today we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite kind of evangelism. Because if I said to you, go do evangelism today, and I gave you different kinds of evangelism, chances are most of you are going to pick the non-talking kind, right? If we're going to do evangelism, let's do it without talking, right? That sounds like a good kind of evangelism. There's a quote that's sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that says, preach the gospel at all times. Use words only when necessary. And the idea is that followers of Jesus are supposed to live in a way that makes other people wonder that something is different about this person. It's, it's not normal. There's something attractive about this person. They have something that I want. They live with a perspective and a purpose that I wish I had in my lives. Their actions are in line and in step with their words. See, all that hyping up of the Mount Seymour Chalet doesn't matter once people walk in. Now, if you're expecting that and you're okay with that, it can be a great spot to take your students or maybe even a family weekend, who knows. But it's not what you're expecting when you, when you hear the hype and when you see what it really is. Our lives need to align with the good news that we say about Jesus. Because if we say following Jesus is awesome, when people look at our lives, they need to see that truth lived out. Too often Christians follow a religion that's about knowing the right answer and saying the right words, but when people in our lives get to know us, they see that our actions and our words don't line up. See, I think that non-believers can easily point to Christians who they know talk about feeding the poor and loving the marginalized, but who don't do either of those things. I'm confident that many people today don't listen to Christians when they talk about their faith because the outside and the inside don't match. It doesn't make sense to them. Okay, speaking of youth group, does anyone remember the uh, old album by DC Talk called Jesus Freak? 
Yes, I knew, okay. So one of the songs on there is called What If I Stumble, and it has an opening uh, with a quote from a guy named Brennan Manning, and it says this. It says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So the question is, do we live as if this good news is actually good news? Is it something that we're excited about that motivates us, that challenges us, that gives us hope and and a purpose? See, our lifestyle and our action are what paves the way for someone to be receptive to the words that we're going to tell them about Jesus. Tim Chester says, enthusiasm for evangelism doesn't begin with evangelism at all. Evangelism, sorry, enthusiasm for evangelism begins with an enthusiasm for Jesus. My willingness to speak of Jesus arises from my delight in Jesus. So today, in our sermon series on sharing the good news like Jesus, we're going to look at how important it is for our words and our actions to align with one another and that our actions speak louder than words. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. And it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, I ask that you would make this text come alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So for us, being salt and light could be called pre-evangelism. It's something that we actually need to do before we start talking about Jesus to a lot of people. Um, and, And they need to be able to see that confidence and that trust in God and how that is lived out. Right before our text today, there's a very famous passage And it's called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are all about what it means to live in kind of an upside-down, backwards kingdom. And the result of living out the Beatitudes is that you will be salt and light. That's why they're right next to each other. So I actually want to read the Beatitudes to us as well. Because when we talk about salt and light, this is what it's referring to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, if you live out these beatitudes you will be salt and light in your world. That's what Jesus is saying. So everything that we're talking about today should spring out of beatitude living. Jesus doesn't leave us to just guess what it means to be salt and light. He tells us. He says, living as salt and light isn't about might. It's about meekness. It's not about hungering and thirsting for wealth, but for righteousness and for justice. It's being a peacemaker and showing mercy. It looks like comforting those who are hurting. And it's not about having your life perfectly in order, but recognizing your need and your dependence on the Lord. 
Sometime soon, I would love to do a sermon series on the Beatitudes, but for today, I just want to make the connection that when we live out the Beatitudes, we are being salt and light. And when we're called to be salt and light, Jesus is saying, live out the Beatitudes. Those things are connected. So let's dive into it. You are the salt of the earth. There's actually some some really interesting implications at the very beginning of our passage. You is both plural and specific. It's like you together, like you, the church here at Aldergrove, as well as you specifically and individually, you are the salt of the earth. It's something that, sorry, do I need a switch or are we good? We're just going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Okay, so you, and, and so this you is about both you individually and us collectively. And he says that you are. He's making a statement here. It's not something where he says you should be the salt of the earth or try to be the salt of the earth or it's not an aspirational statement where it's like one day you will be salt of the earth. He says you are. It's not something that's optional. It's, it's not a choice. It's something that you are. And I love that it says you are salt of the earth, that our influence is not, can be, is not to be confined to a narrow circle. It's not just about our friends or our family. It's not just about being salt and light to people of your same church or your same denomination or the same religious background as you. It's about being salt and light to the earth to the diaspora, to those scattered throughout the nations. So Christians should be known as salt and light, not to just each other, but to the rest of the world, to the whole earth. Okay, and so why does he say salt? Why does he choose salt? From this is where we get the expression that those are good salt of the earth people. See, salt is actually the enemy of decay. People didn't have fridges and freezers, and so they used salt as a preservative, and it would slow down decay. So Jesus' followers have the the job to step in and slow down the deterioration of the world. We're not just supposed to sit by and watch as the world burns. We're supposed to intercede. We're intended to be agents of life-giving, positive change. And, and I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think of the story about walking two miles when only one is required. I, I think about loving your enemies and forgiving them. I think about feeding people who didn't plan ahead and forgot to bring a lunch. Leon Morris says, What is good in society, Jesus' followers keep wholesome. What is corrupt, they oppose. They penetrate society for good and act as kind of a moral antiseptic. And they give a tang to life like salt to a dish of food. See, salt was super helpful and useful, but it was also just for making food taste better. And does salt make food taste better? Yes, it does. I love salt, especially on my popcorn. Okay, popcorn is my favorite thing to put salt on. But something that... that that we are supposed to do as Jesus followers is to add that flavor, to add that spice, to add something that makes the lives of those around us better. We're supposed to be the people that keep the world from becoming bland. The world is bland without Christians. That's what the intention is. And I want you to think about that. If my world, if Kevin's world, if I stopped following Jesus, would the world around me become any less flavorful? Do my actions actually add that spice and that flair and that enjoyment in life? William Barclay says, We need to discover the lost radiance of the Christian faith. In a worried world, Christians should be the only people who remain serene. In a depressed world, Christians should be the only people who remain full of the joy of life. There should be a sheer sparkle about Christians, but too often they dress like mourners at a funeral. 
and talk like specters at a feast. Wherever they are, they are to be the salt of the earth. Christians must be diffusers of joy. I love that. I want to be a diffuser of joy. It sounds awesome. But, if we keep going in our text, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Okay, guys, just so you know, this is a joke. This is Jesus being kind of funny because salt doesn't lose its saltiness. That would be like saying, hey, so when water stops being wet... It's like, well, water doesn't. Or when the flame stops being hot, it's like, well, flame is naturally hot. So he's saying if the salt loses its saltiness, he's saying that doesn't exist. It's not a thing. There's no such thing as unsalty salt. But here's the tragedy. Christians are made to add the flavor to life, but way too often Christians are associated with the opposite. Right? Do you think that we as Christians are considered sometimes to be the killjoys, the moral police, the stick in the mud. See, too often people think that Christians take the flavor out of life, not add to it. In the fourth century, there is a Roman emperor named Julian, and he criticized Christians. And later, a playwright um, put words to his complaint, and he said, Have you looked at these Christians closely, hollow-eyed and pale-cheeked? They brood their lives away, by, sorry, unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they do not see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they desire it not. All their desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. Yeah, as Julian saw, Christianity took the vividness out of life. And I think that sometimes those in our communities that don't know Jesus think that that's what we do as Christians. See, when we're not fulfilling our purpose as salt and light, we're actually on the way to disaster. We're in trouble when we, when we forget that the mission of the church happens outside of these walls, that true Christianity happens in your homes and in your workplaces, in the classroom, when you're out for an evening walk, when you're at your kid's soccer game, when you're at your grandkid's hockey game. It happens when you're in line waiting for that really slow McDonald's order. It happens when you're leaving a tip for your server. See, Christianity is intended to add the fun and the flavor And so if your faith is isolating you and making you into kind of a grumpy killjoy, chances are you're missing something. Because you, it says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Light of the world recalls Israel's evangelism strategy. Okay, Uh, just quick history lesson here. So Israel, um, and, and here's how God chose to use them as evangelists. They were to live in such a way that the world around them thought that they were crazy. Not like bad crazy, but a good crazy, where it was kind of like, these people, they follow a different set of laws and rules, and, and, and it's not an oppressive thing. It's actually about looking out for one another. They take care of their widows and their orphans and the fatherless. They take care of the poor and the oppressed. And when you do this type of living, it's supposed to be so attractive that the rest of the world is wondering, like, what are you doing? Why do you, why do you live that way? Why do you treat each other so well? And then Israel or we can respond, it's because our God is a God of justice and mercy, a God who's full of compassion and love, not just for the mighty, but for the least of these as well. And then people say, that's the God I want to follow. That's the God I want to follow. Being light and salt was, original, was the original evangelism strategy for Israel. 
Just like a moth is drawn to a flame, so would the nations be drawn to Yahweh when they see how his people live. So it's really important to note that any evangelism strategy, any, any kind of plan to share your faith that doesn't involve your life being salt and light is likely to fail. Your life needs to demonstrate the difference Jesus makes. And it can't be hidden. It's not something that, that we hide. It's not something we do in secret. John describes himself, or sorry, Jesus in John describes himself as the light of the world. And here he says that we too are also a light. And that's a really big compliment that he puts on us as his followers. It's also a really high bar that he sets. Leon Morris says that Christ is himself the light whereas his followers are no more than pointers to and reflectors of Christ the light. But in this way, they bring the light to the world and the world to the light in a way that would not take place apart from them. So neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus didn't say you are the light of the church. And I think sometimes we forget this. We think that we are called to be salt and light just to each other. But he says, you are the light of the world. Christianity, the way we live that out, should be evident to all of us. It's been said that there can be no such thing as secret discipleship. This is what William Barclay says. He says, either the secrecy destroys the discipleship, or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. Our Christianity should be perfectly visible to everyone. See, if your face... Faith kind of stops shaping you once you walk out those doors and get into the car. I think we're missing something. See, the purpose of following Jesus is to be light and to give salt and to add flavor to the world around us, to help people see the difference that Jesus can make in your life. Okay, our last verse says, So in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is actually the first time in Luke that God is called Father, called, called our Father. And it's going to happen 44 more times in Luke before it's done. But this is supposed to be the, something that identifies people as God's children, that they have a light that shines about them that is intended to point people to the Father. This is part of what unites us and should be a defining characteristic of Jesus' followers and his churches, that his sons and daughters shine. That they live and behave differently, pointing people to the love and light of a God who accepts them and welcomes everyone home. So when the gospel is lived out in our lives and when these beatitudes are realized in our hearts, the result is this attractive way of living that the world sees as authentic. That they should see our actions and our words, the things we preach, being in lockstep. It's not an empty religion propped up with fancy words. For me, growing up, um, I actually went to the Camp Luther Chalet with someone that I want to tell you a story about right now. His name is Glenn, and Glenn was one of the youth leaders that I had when I was probably about 13, 14, 15, something like that in my life. And, and Glenn, we went on all sorts of trips with youth group, and, and here's the thing, is that he wasn't super talented or exceptionally smart. He wasn't athletic. He wasn't like any of the things that like make someone just be awesome, but... The way he treated me, yeah, the way he treated me and the way he made others feel, he made us feel valued and loved and cared for. And the more I got to know Glenn, and the more I saw the difference that his faith made in his life. 
I saw that he was always serving and always helping and always living in a way that I thought Jesus would probably live. But he didn't take himself super seriously, and he wasn't even, I, I would say, super religious, but he loved Jesus. He was fun. He actually told jokes that I wouldn't tell in front of my parents. And, and he was the kind of person that you just wanted to spend time with. And I remember thinking that if this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, then sign me up. Sign me up, because I want to live with that type of joy and hope and purpose. The outside matched the inside. A quick note is, whenever, whenever we talk about what it means to kind of be the hands and feet of Jesus and to do good things and to let your light shine, uh, it, it can always create kind of this idea that maybe we're preaching like a moralistic gospel, where we do these good things in order to get God to like us more. Now, doing good things is really important. James 2 also says that as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So our faith should cause us to do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. We are called to be salt and light and for this to affect our actions, but our, our deeds and works are a sign of our faith. Our faith isn't dependent on our deeds and our works. Salvation is not earned by doing good things. We don't believe in that type of a gospel. God doesn't love you more because you're really good at being salt and light. You are saved by grace and faith in Jesus, full stop. It says in Romans, it says, where, if talking about works, where then is boasting? It's actually excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. See, messages like this can be tough because we all want to be salt and light, but the reality is sometimes we're just barely hanging on. It's like, oh, salt and light? I feel like I've got nothing but darkness right now. I feel like I'm empty. I have nothing to give. I don't have any way to be salt and light. And even though today's message is intended to be a challenge to let our faith be an attractant to other people, there's another side to faith, and that is that it is all about mercy and love and acceptance and forgiveness. So I want you to know that if you're barely hanging on because of illness or injury, because of addiction, because of life circumstances or anything else that's going on, the very fact that you're still hanging on to Jesus is itself being salt and light. So if this is you, the good works that point people to Jesus is your faithfulness and your commitment to Jesus through these unbearable circumstances. Anytime I talk about our responsibility to love and to serve one another um, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, I just need to remind myself of this, that, it, that we don't follow a, a works-based gospel. So, that being said, may we be a people in a church that isn't so concerned about just sounding good on the outside, but being transformed from the inside out. As people know us and they see past the polished veneer that we kind of present to the world, as people get to know the real you, may they see someone whose exterior matches their actions, sorry, whose exterior matches their interior and whose actions match their words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about the importance of love. And it says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I love that verse. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Throughout this series on sharing the good news like Jesus, we want to be praying for people to encounter the love of God over the next weeks and months. I would love for you to to join with me. A lot of people at North Langley have set an alarm on our phones for 11.02 every day. 11.02. Why 11.02? Because Luke 11.2 says, your kingdom come. It's Jesus teaching us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. And what we're going to do and what I'm doing and what a number of people are doing and what I'm inviting you to do is to set an alarm on your phone, maybe for 11.02 or a different time if that works better for you, but to, to pray that over one or two or three people in your life, that God's kingdom would come and invade their lives, that they would experience the love and the light of Jesus in their hearts. And so at 11.02, if you're hanging out with me, my alarm's going to go off. And, um, and because it's the ministry fair today, I just want to encourage you that being salt and light, like, yes, we can, we can serve in the church, but don't just limit it to the booths that we have out here. Like, we also, there's places to serve as a coach in your community, as big brothers and sisters as, with the food, but there's so many places to serve. Don't just limit yourself to the things we have here, but we have some awesome things here. And a lot of times, serving in these places is the place that our faith is ignited, One area that I want to point out specifically that I think matches with our our, um, text today is right out there, there's a a booth for local outreach. When we planted, one of the four pillars that we planted on was that we wanted to impact the community of Aldergrove. Our local outreach teams helps with our Celebrate Single Moms event, with Advent Blessings, it's partnering with the Food Bank, and we're looking for more ways to be salt and light in our community. So I'd encourage you to check them out. In fact, okay, did John say what snack we're getting today? No, okay, we're getting churros, okay? We love churros, right? Um, And so you're going to get churros at all the different booths and like lemonade and stuff like that. But I also want to point out at the Impact Aldergrove at the local outreach booth, the best salted caramels in the world. Very best salted caramels. Now, did you see the connection there? Because it's talking about Impact all the salt. Yeah, okay, all right, so you're going to be the salt. Okay, why don't you stand with me and we're going to close the sermon together and we're going to pray together. And so, Lord, may our hearts and lives reflect the light and the love of Jesus to the world around us. May you allow us to be salt and light. May you transform us from the inside out. May the actions and the words that we say, may they be in lockstep with one another and with you, Jesus. May our lives align with the message and the gospel. May you be glorified in everything we say and in everything we do. May people see you in and through us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.